The Best of Times, live from 710 Keel Studios in Shreveport, Louisiana. Celebrating age and maturity. Helping you make the best years of your life the best they can be. The Best of Times. Your host, Gary Kaligas. Good morning, radio listeners. I'm Gary Kaligas, the publisher of The Best of Times, the only news magazine for mature adults in northwest Louisiana. Thank you for tuning into our show today and also thanking those who might be listening via the internet at www.710keel.com. Also, thanking those who might be listening via the Radio Pup application on their app. And Android devices. In just a few minutes, we're going to learn about some little known historical information about one of the signers of the United States Declaration of Independence, and that person is Benjamin Rush. So stay tuned to the show for some very interesting information. It is Saturday, January the 27th, and we are broadcasting our show live from the studios of News Radio 710 Keel, a Town Square media station here in Shreveport, Louisiana. Good morning. Good morning, Mr. Rubin. Good morning, sir. How are you? Doing wonderful. Uh, I'm on needles and pins, though. I, I know. We've uh, we've been talking about this. You're having some exciting news. Yes, your we're way having soon. my daughter, Alexa, as uh, my baby, is having a baby. And any moment now, she is um, on, on the... Uh, uh, the road to delivering her little boy, Liam, uh, Liam Alexander uh, Gooden, and they're in East Texas right now, and so Tina and I have our bags are packed, the, the car is ready, and I didn't know if I was going to do this live show today, but I'm here, and hopefully I won't get a text or call and saying, hurry and leave out of here, because <laughs> you, you and my guests are going to have to handle it by yourselves, because hey. I know my wife will be in panic panic mode that, uh, the, that will happen. The first, we, the first rule of radio is always be ready. So. Be, be Ready, right. <laughs> and we can't push the dump button here. We have to keep on going. Right. This, is, this is a live show today, so we're we're excited to have my guest. We're going to talk with him in a couple of minutes. But yes, and so yes, the the my little uh, be my fifth grand. Um, grandchild and uh, so we're excited about that and the other exciting thing my son Lance Gooden is running for United States congressman from the state of Texas from the district 5 so that's another happening that's going to be taking place and of course uh, the election there is on um, March the 6th and so we're going to be heavily involved with that and I'm sure their new baby is going to be involved in that as well so you never know be sure to pick up the February issue the best of times at one of our 522 distribution locations. It will be available on January the 31st. We thank you for the many compliments about our magazine. We do appreciate hearing from you. If you're unable to find a copy, remember, you can visit our website at www.thebestoftimesnews.com to view both current and past issues as well as to listen to previously broadcast radio shows here on the Best of Times. The mini medical, the mini med school at LSU Health will begin on March the sixth. So it's so make plans to attend this very popular program that gives community members an inside view of the medical school as they learn from the LSU uh, health. Uh, faculty classes begin on March the sixth and continue every Tuesday until March the twenty seventh. And for more information, do call three one eight six seven five eighty seven eighty nine. That's six seven five eighty seven eighty nine. 
The Best of Times is working on its 16th edition of Silver Pages, the only and the most comprehensive senior boomer annual resource directory that highlights businesses, organizations, and agencies with more than 4,000 listings. This is the prime guide used by seniors and boomers to make informed decisions about the many choices about products and services for them. March 1st is the distribution date for this 2008 edition of Silver Pages, and it will be available free at all of our 522 distribution locations. For more information, do contact us at thebestoftimesnews.com and and log in for more information. Uh, Copies of that will be available on March 1st on our website, but also you can contact me at gary.colegas at gmail.com for more information about being included in this 2018 Silver Pages. Our friends at the Cattle Parish Office is hosting an AERP Safe Driving class. This will take place on Friday, February the 9th from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. at the Northwest Regional Reentry Facility located at 1123 Forum Drive in Shreveport. This is a refresher course for drivers 15 and older, so do call to register. Space is limited, so do call Eight, excuse me, six eight one zero eight six nine. That's six eight one zero eight six nine. A free concert will be performed on Sunday, February the 4th, beginning at 4 p.m. at the Emmett Cook Center, located at the First United Methodist Church, located in downtown Shreveport. The 2016 winner of the Wyman International Piano Competition, Sung Zing Yang, will be the featured performer. For more information about this free concert, you can call 429-6885. That's 429-6885. Remember to visit our website at www.thebestoftimesnews.com for announcements made during today's radio show as well as information about upcoming events, activities, and news that you can use. We'll be right back with more information, but now we're from our sponsors and advertisers who make this radio show possible. You're listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on News Radio 710 Keel, proudly presented by A Bears, Town and Country of Shreveport, your Dodge, Chrysler Ram, and Jeep dealer. Gary's got more of the best of times coming for you on 710 Kiel. Now, back to the best of times with your host, Gary Coligas. Welcome back to our show, the best of times radio hour, proudly presented by A Bears, sending country as report, your Dodge, Chrysler Ram, and Jeep dealer. I'm Gary Coligas, and I do thank you for listening to our show today. Joining me on my show as a special guest is Dr. James Kraut, who is a retired physician who has lots of interests, but one of those is history. Is right? Is That's that right? correct, yes. Well, Dr. Jim, thank you for joining us today here on the Best of Times Radio You're Hour. You're welcome. Taking your Saturday morning to come here live on the Best of Times Radio Show. Oh, well. I, I compliment you for doing that. It's a tough thing to get up in the morning, right, now that you're retired and, and you know, um, you're going to be sharing t- today a little information about one of the, uh, the what I call it unknown signers. He was a signer of the Declaration of Independence. That's J- Benjamin Rush. But before we get into that, give us a little bit background. I- I'm fascinated by your background. Well, I uh, was a physician for 40 years in Austin, Texas. 40 years? You started when you were very young. 
About 10. Yes. <laughs> no. Uh, was a physician for 40 years, practiced rheumatology there. Oh. And when I retired, uh, we decided to move closer to our children, uh, one of whom lives in New York and the other one in Shreveport. So we chose Shreveport for obvious reasons. New York is complicated living. Very uh, complicated. Lots to do up there, but very complicated. Lots to do. Nice place to visit, but I would want to live there. Correct. Correct. So we chose Freeport, and we've been very happy. We've well, we're, thank you found here. our way into uh, various activities, and people have been very accepting, and we have enjoyed it and well, found our way. Well, we're happy to have you here, and I've just got to meet you just for a couple of months, I think. I've known you, and so I'm, I was fascinated when you gave this presentation to the Tarshar Group, and I thought it was really something I've never heard about. I, I probably remember the name writing, but I never knew anything about one, one of these signers. So how did you get involved in history? You, you're, you're a historian and antique collector, right? Correct. Wow. Uh, history has always fascinated me ever since I studied it in, you know, in school. And as I, as I became an adult, I've always read about history, whether I was in medical school or practicing or whatever. I came across Benjamin Rush's name on a number of occasions, one one of which was uh, he, he was a physician. And uh, as I recall, one of the few or only physicians to sign the Declaration of Independence and certainly the most prominent physician uh, in the early and mid and late 17, or the mid to late 1700s. So his name comes up in medical circles from a history standpoint more than it does in the general history circles. Uh, and as I read about him, and what prompted me to do this talk is that I was reading David McCullough's last book, right. The American Spirit, and he talked about uh, Benjamin Rush, that he was one of the most outstanding Americans of all time. But not recognized or celebrated as much as he should be. And, and we'll talk a little bit about why is that. It's, it's, it's sad. You know, sometimes you, you don't get, you, you, you don't get touched. People don't understand your importance but feel like you're not contributing. Is that when it matter that's, that's Well, there was some controversy that caused some of it that we can get into as well. So, so again, tell us a little bit. Benjamin Rush was born which uh, on Christmas Eve. Isn't that amazing? That's, that, yeah, 1745. 45. Yes, yes. And, um, and he served, his family was part of what? Uh, I was, they're, they're well, he lived in Philadelphia his yeah. entire life, born in near Philadelphia, lived his entire life there. His uh, father, John, was a, um, well, he bought real estate and was a gunsmith, kind of did a number of things. Died very young. Yeah, his mother, that, 38, years, 38 old. years old, yes. Do we know and, what he died of? No, don't know that fact. Um his mother was a very enterprising woman, and uh, she ran a boarding house and uh, ran. Uh, she rented out the property they had accumulated and opened the grocery store. Wow. Aren't you, uh, very interesting life. people. Uh, at age eight, she sent him to the Nottingham Academy, which was a uh, boarding school run by his uh, run by her brother-in-law, and it was a it was a uh, a school that prepared a prep school basically for College of New Jersey, which is now Princeton. 
So he had sturdy mother. But even at eight years old, to go into a prep prep school like that, that was pretty. And then, then you were saying at 13, it was very bright, right? Extremely bright, yes. And uh, at age 13, he was considered adequate to go to Princeton or College of New Jersey. And he entered there. And two years later, at 15, he graduated. And had to decide what to do uh, with his life subsequent uh, subsequent to 15. And Uh as any of us know, it's hard to decide at any age, much less 15. Do you think at that age they were quite mature? I mean, that's certainly probably more mature than we were. I mean, life was more, you know, uh, was more was not as long as we live. And so they had to make decisions much more quickly about what they were going to do and their choices were more narrow than we have so uh that that's really the you know the major reason that uh, you know he, he he did what he did which was he considered law but his uncle samuel <laughs> finley uh really tried to dissuade him and from, because because law was, uh, uh, you know, he had a negative view of law, <laughs> and even back then in the 1700s, right? right? Yes. So he decided he tried to get him interested in physic, which is the word for medicine in those days. And after a long time, he decided on that. And he, in those days, you worked as an apprentice for a period of years, uh, and then went on to practice or many people like he went on to a real medical school somewhere uh but there were people who just did apprenticeships and then practiced medicine apprenticeships Uh, is much like a journeyman too well yes similar thing you follow a guy around and to learn how to do it by watching him and And, and attorneys did it that way at that time too and for so many years you had been deemed yeah in his in his case he was with a doctor John Redmond for six years, which uh, was the usual or a common period of time to do an apprenticeship. And his Redmond recognized his very wise and smart mind and uh, facilitate his getting into the College of Medicine in Edinburgh. At that time, Edinburgh was the center, the best medical school to be had. And so he was accepted. And so at age, uh, by then he would be in about 21 or 2, he went to Edinburgh uh, to medical school, and which lasted two years at that time. Just two years. Okay. Yes. That, that's, that's amazing in itself. Just two years in full medical school. Well, actually, though, if you consider the six years that he was a, oh, an it apprentice, there you're talking eight years. So that was and a, they were a lean, And he time. was learning various other unique items, as aspects and training of, of, of a physician in, in Edinburgh. I'm sure it was well advanced farther than what yes. they were doing in, medicine in, the, in the colonies. Medicine is practiced in the colonies at the time was very religious-oriented and very empirical it was uh you know a little bit of somebody says you use witch hazel for this and so they use (laughs) witch hazel uh edinburgh had become more advanced and had become more scientific in their uh approach to medicine and he picked up on that and it stuck with him for the rest of his life of course and it's more scientific. so how did he get involved in 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 politics and 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 authority and and government 
he met a young student, another medical student in Edinburgh named John Bostock, who was not only a medical student, but sort of a firebrand of sorts, <laughs> uh, and very anti- very much against the monarchy and very much pro-American, interestingly. And so he piqued Russia's interest, and he met uh, a number of other people in England at the time that were the same had the same opinion after he finished edinburgh he went to london to do an internship and worked at middlesex and st thomas hospitals both of which still exist interestingly Hmm. and he during his time there he had uh, become acquainted with benjamin franklin who was the ambassador to London at that time. And Franklin took him under his wing and introduced him to a number of people. And he met some people there, one named Catherine McCauley and others, who were pro-American and and against the monarchy. And about that time, the Stamp Act and other things that were very unpopular were coming along. And he started to form his opinions against the British monarchy. And uh, by the time he had finished in London and then went to France, uh, Franklin supported his going to France for a year. And there he met some Dubourg and others who were members of the French Enlightenment. And they were as well anti-monarchy. And so he formed this opinion over a period of time and became a, uh, a you know, an, an anti-monarchist and uh, was very much interested in the United, what we call the United States now, being independent. And he also formed the opinion that war was inevitable to obtain that. And didn't didn't he also? Do, I thought it was fascinating. He encountered the first free dispensary for the poor. In France, uh, when he was there for a year, he encountered that, and that was not the case in the colonies at the time, or I don't think in England. But he saw that, and when he came back, he founded the first free dispensary in the United States. Wow! For medicine, how touching was that? That was a—I mean, another hierarchy thing that people probably don't know. Yeah, he—he was a a very enlightened, I guess, person, a a member of the American Enlightenment, actually, as it turns out. Okay, so then I, I was fascinated. He recruited Thomas Paine. He did. He did. We all know. Thomas when he Bain. came back and went into practice in Pennsylvania, he was still very interested in the in independence. Do we in medical practices back then, Doc? There weren't specialties. It was a, it was, a, was it generalization practice? It was generalization. Yes, you, you could did deliver everything. babies and everything. Correct. Right? The whole Correct. gamut. You did. You did everything. Wow. That's fascinating. That could have happened today, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> well, it could, you know, but, it, but it wouldn't be it t- wouldn't. challenging. I mean, enough was not known to, to 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 really warrant that at the time. So, so his so his influence on Thomas Paine caused what? Well, he recruited Thomas Paine to write, who was a good writer actually, and he recruited him to write a. A series of articles against 
or for going to war against Britain over independence. And he even named the pamphlet Common Sense, which many of us know and is familiar, which really galvanized the colonial thought against the British and uh, was one of the things that propelled the colonies toward war. And, you know, in that statement of common common sense, is just practical. It's a great, catchy, catchy yes, title. And we went, oh, this is common sense. We should yes. understand this very easily. Yes, we shouldn't be subjugated to people who are, you know, t- who are taxing us without our representation, etc. And so he was, he served, but when you serve in the Continental Congress, were you elected? Were you appointed? Do you, do you remember those states? They were appointed from the states. They were usually prominent people in the state who often served in the state assemblies. Um, and they were usually selected among them, uh, as I recall, they were not elected. But they the had to have room. they had to have pro independence background. They couldn't. Oh, be yes. a, they couldn't be a, yes, a Tory were. or couldn't be a sneaky person that would rat on them to the. They, to they the, didn't. They didn't appoint Tories. That is, people <laughs> who were, you know, had their allegiance to Britain. They were interested in people who was interested in gaining independence. I wonder how they vetted back then. I have no idea, but I'm sure they had a way. Uh, uh, definitely. I'm sure that George Washington and others figured out some way, and Benjamin Franklin did, yes. did as well. Yes. So so he served in both the First and the Second Continental He did, indeed. Wow. And he uh, uh, and after that signed the Declaration of Independence. So he was very involved in the independence movement. And so... He was the friends of John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, and all of the, all the other 56 signers. So what happened uh, about his, his political thinking? Well, he became very, uh, I guess you could call him radical. He was very radical about the United States entering into a war and gaining independence. Uh, he was a great friend of many people who had the same feeling, among which was Franklin, and Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, they were the people that he was mo- he was closest to. And he has some interesting comments in his uh, autobiography about a number of people, the patriots at that time. And uh, I can read some of those if it's of interest. But uh, he, that was, and interestingly, he became so close to those two that, uh, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, in their old age, became fell apart in terms of their relationship. They did. They became antagonistic over the fact that Jefferson beat Adams uh, <laughs> for the uh, presidency, and they had different political faults or thinking. But it was Rush who facilitated their uh, reconciliation Oh, in the end. That. So he was that type of friend and close to both of them. Wow. Well, he knew how to, to win. But I thought it was another fascinating thing about Patrick Henry, uh, about the letter sent. Right. Well, if you think about the times, if you signed the Declaration of Independence, you, the 56 people that did, their neck was on the line. If they lost, they were going to be hung uh, by by the British as traitors. So they had a keen interest in things going well with the war. 
in the early part of the war, uh, Horatio Gates had had a very big uh, victory at Saratoga. Right. And his army was more organized and than Washington's was at the time in the opinion of several people. And so Rush was very concerned about that because uh, Washington had very few successes at that time. So he wrote a letter and sent it to Patrick Henry, who was the governor of Virginia at the time, questioning Washington's ability to lead the army and lead them to success. Henry uh, sent it to George Washington. <laughs> it wasn't signed. It was done under a false name, but Washington, which was common in those days. Yeah, we, Washington le- we learned rec- about that. <laughs> Washington recognized his handwriting. Oh. And he became, they became uh, oh, distanced, yes. to put it mildly. Oh. And it was really one of the things that hurt Rush in history because he was on the wrong side, basically. And although he did reconcile with Washington to a degree, historians questioned his judgment because, you know, Washington was the winner. But indeed, you know, you you have to be sympathetic because his neck was on the line. If the war went down, he was going to hang. So I'm sure he wasn't the only one feeling that way. But, Jim, I think another, this is just conjecture, I think that because of that caused George Washington to get, step up to the plate. He might have been lackadaisical. I think yes, I have, hard to know. I've not. Yeah. Th- th- that's not recorded in history right. well, but he probably took that criticism. To, yeah. uh, uh, to to heart, I would I, I would expect. I would expect that too. That would be a psychological advantage yes. that, that would cause him. Maybe this this person who knows more, you know, he's part of the gang, knowing all the part. You know, I might get another opinion here. Yeah, and Rush was very prominent, particularly in Pennsylvania politics. So it was not just a, a slight of sorts. We'll be right back. For more information, but now a word from our sponsors and advertisers who make this radio show possible. You're listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on News Radio 710 Keel, proudly presented by A Bears Tony Country of Shreveport, your Dodge Chrysler Ram and Jeep dealer. Gary's got more of the Best of Times coming for you on 710 Keel. Now, back to the best of times with your host, Gary Coligas. Welcome back to our show, the best of times radio hour, proudly presented by A Bear, sending country a Shreveport, your Dodge Chrysler Ram and Jeep dealer. Joining me on my show today is a special guest, is Dr. James Kraut, who is a retired physician who has interest in history. And he's discussing the little known exemplary patriot, Benjamin Rush, who is one of the signers, 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence. Thank you, Dr. Jim, for joining us today. You're welcome. It's been fascinating already. We could probably spend about two hours on this topic, but we only have a, about you know about thirty minutes left. But we'll continue on here and then give our listeners a little bit of insight about Benjamin Rush. One thing I felt fascinating, I you know he being a signer, he decided he wanted to contribute in the army and the and right during the uh, that's correct. Uh, he joined the colonial army, uh, was appointed. Surgeon General of the Middle Continental Army, which was, it had a northern and a southern group, and he was the Middle Continental Army Surgeon General, which was the army that George Washington was commanding. Uh, He was 
had a lot of uh, a lot of problems with how things went in terms of hygiene. More people died of disease, or more soldiers died of disease at the time than from battle. And he was very much an advocate of hygiene, which the British had already clued into, and he had learned from them. Uh-huh. And that was not a priority, evidently, for Washington even or others. And he very was very much for hygiene. And he came he came in conflict with the overall commander, who was a Doctor Shippen. He was over all three armies in terms of the medical aspect of things. Uh, Shippen was a fellow who was not interested in that. He also sold the rum that was sent to his <laughs> army uh, uh, for profit for his own profit. So he was not a well liked fellow. Oh, and okay. Rush, being very indignant at this, uh, took him on. And the problem was Shippen was very politically well-connected. All the Lees, the oh, race horse, okay. Harry Lee and those, he was, was connected to by marriage, marriage. So he had a lot of political connections to kind of keep him there. So it, it resulted in a lot of uh, uh, problems. Um, Rush was very much a person who thought that justice should prevail and was very much against this and actually he resigned as a result of all this and later Shippen was brought up uh, on charges interestingly Hmm. so he was exonerated but his uh, method he wasn't the smooth politician that he maybe should should have been to manage that but you know he but military hygiene and hygiene in in that aspect was probably one of the important things but it was and he he gets credit for bringing that up and bringing that into the uh, uh, to the American uh, Army. Do we do we know that after he brought this up that it was implemented in all the Yes, it was. Wow. Yeah, and Horatio Gates, who was one of the other generals in the North, mm-hmm. uh, he, he he was more of a practitioner of hygiene in the military, and uh, was so it was it was known at that time, and later on it became of course part and parcel of of, of military life. So after after our success, uh, Benjamin Rush was was still involved in 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 uh, in our government, right? Co- correct, he was, uh, but never appointed as anything. Except, interestingly, he was appointed by John Adams as Treasurer of the Mint, which is like United States Treasurer today, largely a ceremonial post. And he did that after he had a uh, uh, falling out over some other issues, and uh, he was a very he was very close to Adams, and Adams gave him that as a as a job. But he wasn't part of the drafting the, the United States Constitution. No, no, he was not. Uh, he wasn't part of the Constitutional Convention. He was very much a advocate of the Constitution, and he was actually a delegate to the to the uh, Pennsylvania constitutional convention to ratify it so he was still active in that way but if i recall in your presentation he also didn't like the, the state of pennsylvania's independent constant the constitution well the, yes the, independ- the the pennsylvania constitution had a unicameral legislature a very poor executive branch and he didn't like it and 
went about for many years opposing that and eventually it was changed and he was part of that movement as well. So let's talk a little bit about Benjamin Rush, the physician. We, we mentioned about his military issue, issues and concerns and he changing the, the hygiene and cleanliness. So what else? What else can we talk about that? Well, as a physician, when he first came back, uh, he had a struggle because you needed either you needed someone to be your advocate. Mm-hmm. Uh, you needed a, a well-known family. Uh, you needed to be belong to the right church, uh, or you needed a lot of money <laughs> on hand, none of which he had. So he began his practice among the poor folk, and then his practice flourished, and he did very well uh, as time went on. He had some controversy, though, in his practice at the time in Edinburgh when he was studying, uh, Cullen, who was one of the leading physicians there, advocated bloodletting and purges as a means of treatment. Now, those seem ridiculous to us today, but uh, Quite perhaps there's some things 200 years from now will seem just as ridiculous <laughs> uh, to, to those to people living 200 years from now that we do. So. It's hard to criticize that, but that was the leading thinking medically of the day. And you gave purges for fever, and one of the interesting things is that he was a consultant to Lewis and Clark before their expedition started. And he advised them that if they get fevers, to take purges. And the purges was a laxative that contained a plant laxative called jalap and mercury. Uh, It was called Dr. Rush's Thunderclap. (laughs) And it's interesting because many, many years later, they traced the exact route that Lewis and Clark followed by the deposits of mercury that had occurred during the trip. So it had a secondary wow. benefit. So it was very, very, very interesting. And, and it lasted because mercury doesn't go away, right? You no, just, it's, it does, it's it there, so there. it can be identified. Uh, yes, yes. And there are many other, um, you know, uh, interesting things of his practice. He um, did flourish very well in his practice. He had some people, though, who are older, who practiced differently that he had... Uh, that, that that didn't like him as a result or was his opponent. And, but nevertheless, he flourished and, and did very well. Well, I thought another one was that uh, he, he advocated humane treatment for the mentally ill, right? He did. Um, he wrote four books on it. Interestingly, his oldest son, John, who became a physician, uh, later developed a mental illness that put him in, a, in an institution for the remainder of his life. And he was very much an advocate of humane treatment of the mentally ill and wrote four books on it and is really considered the father of American psychiatry. Wow, I didn't know know that. Oh, the other thing I thought was fascinating in his position, you know, today my physician always tells me it's important to have regular physical exercise, Gary. Yes. And this was back in the 1700s. Yes. Oh, yeah, he was was an advocate of many things, including occupational therapy and uh, physical exercise and uh, those things. He was an enlightened man and forward-thinking man. Okay, what what about his involvement with the 1793 yellow fever epidemic? Well, yellow fever was a big killer in those days. And Philadelphia, where he was practicing in 1793, had a yellow fever epidemic. 
Uh, and it killed 10% of the population before it waned. And at the time, there was no knowledge that that yellow fever was, came from a mosquito bite. And it was just all unknown. He theorized that it was something indigenous going on in Philadelphia to cause this. This wasn't coming from outside, people communicating it from outside. There was something indigenous. And that caused problems. Number one, he had a number of physicians that disagreed with him, but mainly the merchants, the, the, this epidemic was so severe that the, it hurt them economically. The people who would come into their port would skip their port simply because oh. they didn't want to be to catch the yellow fever, uh, since it was indigenous and could you could get it from something there that was mosquito bite, but they didn't know it. They didn't know time. what it was, so it hurt their economy greatly. And he, uh, they blamed him because that was his. He was well known and and a leading advocate of that thought. So he got into some problems relative to to that. And so, in that fearing, he got fewer patients. He was not no, he, was, he didn't get fewer patients. As a result, he was just uh, he was just criticized roundly, and his stature was diminished. No, he many physicians left during the epidemic because it was so severe, and they didn't want to catch it. And he was one of the few that stayed behind. Sometimes he'd have a hundred to hundred and twenty patients a day to treat. So he didn't uh, he didn't he didn't have economic losses. So he was an active and famous medical educator as well, right? You were talking about oh, he was. Many, he, many of the professors. He was appointed at the University of Pennsylvania, uh, and then which later had its own separate medical college. Uh, and he had professorships in both. And he wrote, he studied chemistry a great deal in Edinburgh as part of his training there. And he wrote the first American textbook on chemistry. And he was influential in a lot of circles in medical education at the time. And over his lifetime was responsible for training some 3,000 physicians. Uh, so he was a very active Quite man. active. I, I'm just, I just can't fathom, even in today's standard, how can somebody do so many things and, how, and have a time for the medical, for all these multiple tasks? Well, I don't know. right. And he, he didn't have the activity of computers and, and cell phones and all this multitasking uh, equipment. Correct. He, and to handwrite a book, I mean, we're not talking, he typewriters, I don't think they were invented back no, then. No, no. So he was handwriting this with pen and... and um well, I don't think things were as highly regulated as they are now either. So <laughs> you could move faster uh, in, in some respects. So I, I want to know what your opinion. How did he get fascinated with diseases of animals? He must have had a dog or cat that got well, sick. Well, he, 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 he so? arrived, probably did, I'm sure. He figured out from a scientific standpoint that if you... If you, you can use animals basically to study human disease and in the process of that he really founded veterinary medicine uh, it was not a there was no it was an indirect founding so to speak because they were using animals to try to study 
the effects of diseases on humans, but in the process they figured out what they could do to help these poor dogs and other animals. Uh, so in, indirectly, it was so they might have had a broken a bone, they might have had an illness, and so they were learning how to Correct. treat those, and they would come back, and the dog would be happy, and the cat would be happy and, and healthy. Oh, that's correct. Wow. Yes. Yeah. So, Interesting so all of our dog friends and animal friends out there, this Benjamin Rush started veterinary medicine. Correct. So before that, uh, before that, what was the feeling about animals? They just well, they were just animals outside. When they 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 were left to their own devices. When they got sick, they died. You know, they didn't have the. They were animals that uh, people didn't have the same feeling. I think toward a, a, a cuddly dog as is now. They were just animals, and uh, and they had a use as maybe a pet, but more likely. Most animals were working animals. So in, in your presentation and your research, you found that one of his uh, greatest contribution was the proposals for social reform. So briefly talk about that. Yes, uh, he had many social reforms. His first and most ardent one was his anti-slavery position. He was strongly against having slaves and the institution of slavery. And at one time he said national crimes require national punishment, which was very prescient if you consider the Civil War, mm -hmm. uh, all the problems we have today in race relations. It was uh, a very prescient thinking and comment that he made. So he all, all also advocated uh, changes to prison reform? Correct. Prison reform. At that time, people would be putting stocks out in public to be mocked as a way of, uh, as, a, as a form of punishment. He was against that. He said, this doesn't get us anywhere and wanted a more, you know, a, a prison with some education and other reforms that was a better way to get people uh, to be better good citizens. I remember your comment, his flock. outrageous of public punishment, you know, even that the, the yes. stocks and the flogging was not a good way to rehab felons, right? Correct. Wow. So he, that was his, and his, his I think one of his greatest proposals was on education. Uh, he was a very big proponent of educating the masses and was very instrumental in Pennsylvania getting that done. Uh, he thought that a knowledgeable and educated population was better at preserving a democracy than other types. And so he, so he was a very strong, and he proposed a school for every every uh, town that was uh, supported by taxes. And before they'd been all private and all paid, and it was all different. So he he's the father of modern education to some degree. Wow, another another accolade yes. for him. It's just yes. this is just like fascinating. But the other I, when I read when you mentioned this, I said what he thought about this the evils of tobacco and hard liquor. Yes, this was back in the 1700s. Yes, and was not uh, they they understood of course if you drank too much became a drunkard but they didn't have the same understanding about what tobacco does but he just thought it was a, a, a you know because it was such a habit forming thing he could not see that it really did any good and so he was much against both of those the other thing i thought was interesting he was a devout christian right yes he was uh Interestingly, when he was born, his father was Episcopalian, his mother was 
a um, Presbyterian and he adopted that strong Presbyterian thinking at the time uh, when he was young, a young man. That changed over time. And he became much more liberal in his thinking and uh, had many, went to many different denominations and really became uh, very interested in religion and, and being a good Christian. But he didn't espouse the particular church's doctrines as being important. And it's very interesting. In the end, he uh, became an Episcopalian. And is buried in Christ Church Cemetery in Boston, in, uh, in Philadelphia. Well, thank you, Dr. Jim, for joining us today here on the Best of Times Radio Hour. This was fascinating. Uh, we were talking about Benjamin Rush. So, again, I appreciate you coming on the show to talk about it. And uh, thank you again. You're welcome. We'll be right back with more information. But now a word from our sponsors and advertisers who make this radio show possible. You're listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on News Radio 710 Keel, proudly presented by A Bear, Sunny Country, S. Report, your Dodge, Chrysler, Ram, and Jeep dealer. Gary's got more of the Best of Times coming for you on 710 Keel. Back to the Best of Times with your host, Gary Coligas. Welcome back to our show, the Best of Times Radio Hour, here on News Radio 710 Keel. Thank you for listening to today's show. Hope you join us next Saturday at 9.05 a.m. for another interesting show to benefit you or your loved ones. We do thank you for listening to our show today, and we also ask you to please support our advertisers who make our monthly magazine the best of times possible, as well as the advertisers of this radio show. Don't forget to pick up your personal copy of the Best of Times at one of our 522 distribution locations. May God bless you and your family. God bless America. Have a great day and a great weekend. Thank you again for listening to our show. I'm Gary Caligas, wishing you and yours the best of times both today and every day. Have a great day. You've been listening to the best of times on 710 Keel. Join us again next Saturday at 9 for the best of times. This is News Radio 710 Keel, K E E L, Shreveport Bossier.